Greetings, brothers and sisters in Christ, and welcome to the Innocence Redeemed Podcast. I'm your host, Ray Bergman, and the title of today's show is God's Way or the Way of Pride. Before I begin, forgive me if I sound a little congested. I'm kind of getting over a cold. You know, as a follow-up to the Idolatry Podcast, you may recall that I mentioned a prophetic dream I had a few years back where many were blinded by their idols that is, the things of the world, and I implored to you the dangers of getting caught up in the sin of idolatry. But did you know that having a haughty spirit can also blind you just as much? It's true. If we live for ourselves, or think we know better than God does, we can get into a lot of trouble, and indeed, in the storm to come, we need to be seeking the Lord's ways and not our own. If we believe, or are under the impression that our way is best, we're going to be caught up in a snare, or a series of snares, that will slow us down or wipe us out completely. Only by putting on the whole armor of God can we overcome and get past the snares with the Lord's grace. Now, it's important that I mention that as an opening to keep in mind for where I'm going to be going with the teaching today. So, before I begin, I want to tell you all that I have been seeking the Lord for a new dream vision now for a while, and on the evening of the 23rd or overnight into the 24th, I should say, I was given one. Now, I was initially going to talk about pride this week anyway, but the dream I'm about to share helps to further illustrate where many are, and where many are unknowingly. And let me just say before I read this, I can always discern which dreams are from the Lord, and which are not, because the ones he gives me, I always have a vivid recollection of the details. Even for as simple as they may seem, there is always a meaning. So, that all said, let's get on with it, and then I will share what was revealed to me as I reflected on this dream on the morning of the 24th. So, the way this dream started, it was kind of strange, but then again, it's not surprising. There's been dreams I've had before where I'm suddenly like finding myself in a situation And in this particular one, I found myself driving a pickup truck. And before my path was a series of railroad tracks, there were other vehicles beside and behind me. I remember there were no crossings because for whatever reason, I was having to downshift to give the truck enough power to climb over the tracks. And to get past these tracks where the trains were riding in, which there were multiple trains coming from different directions and blowing their horns. Others behind me were hesitant to cross, and then there were others getting stuck on the tracks in the process of attempting to cross. They were stuck and crying out for help. I only know that for whatever reason I had to get over these series of tracks because if I didn't, I'd get caught in whatever I was driving away from and leaving behind or face getting smashed into by one of these speeding locomotives, whether they were coming from one direction or another. It was as if the only way to safety was going forward. There was only one way. There was no waiting. There was no going backward. Many chose not to cross the railroad tracks to get past the speeding trains, and I I wasn't shown what happened to them. And that was the end of the dream. So as you can imagine, when I woke up, I was perplexed as to what it meant, and I prayed on this, asking the Lord for discernment. And what I felt I heard the Lord say was that many are stuck and refusing to see or unable to see destruction coming, or they are timid and afraid to step out of their comfort zone to fully follow him. 
you know, they're essentially afraid to lay down what is behind them in order to move forward in their walk with Jesus. They believe that there'll be an exception and that their way is best. But what they don't understand is their way is prideful. And that will ultimately lead to destruction or being caught up in Satan's snares if they refuse to walk in faith and cross over those tracks to escape harm. You know, you could lay this out in two scriptures Jesus taught, quoting Matthew 16, 25 through 26. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? So how do those verses pertain to the dream of the speeding trains? Well, what I'm being shown in spirit is that the trains coming from multiple directions represent the storm moving in that will hit us from multiple directions. And the only way to escape is to push forward over those tracks carrying the speeding trains. And those trains are the events that will destroy us if we turn and look back or if we don't move forward. If we stay behind, if we don't let the Lord guide us past the tracks and to safety in him, we either face what has been chasing us from behind or by hanging on to the past or getting sideswiped by multiple traps being set for us as well as the perfect storm that comes from all directions just like the speeding locomotives. Those are the snares I made reference to just a moment ago when I opened the show for today. Ladies and gentlemen, we need not be afraid to be bold and step forward. We should not be afraid to lose our lives to live for Jesus, if it comes down to that. You know, in relation to the dream, most would say, in any normal situation, well, you shouldn't cross the tracks when you see a train coming. On the other hand, in this dream scenario, if you don't take the risk to follow the Lord wherever he leads, whatever is behind you will catch up with you because you waited. And if you delay, you will get stuck on the railroad tracks and be hit by the speeding train, which signifies the coming storm. In other words, don't let that be you. Pick up your cross and follow Jesus no matter where he leads. You know, Psalm 23, 4. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they come for me. If we are with the Lord and not set in our own ways, we have nothing to fear. You know, these evil powers that be will use all sorts of tactics to slow us down. Manipulation by fear, and then of course the promise of all these good things if you just do what they say to keep you safe. But that's a snare coming at all of us from multiple directions. And the only way to escape those snares is to step out in faith and trusting the Lord. Because if we think we know the best way, or think that we can just sit out what comes as a spectator, that represents a sense of not just arrogance, but ignorance and stubbornness. So in other words, we don't want pride to trip us up so that we're stuck. Because then we cannot see the Lord's ways. We're far from him. In that moment, we only see our own way. And what may seem safe will not always be the case. So therein lies the question, which is the same as the title 
for today's show. Are we walking in God's way? Or our own way? Our own prideful way? When you do nothing, it catches up with you. And that is what was signified by those behind me in the dream not wanting to give up in the face of coming danger to cross over the railroad tracks. They were holding on to the past. They were being afraid to step out of their comfort zone or not willing to trust the Lord because they thought their way was the best way. What will you give in exchange for your soul by hanging on to the world and being stubborn versus allowing the Lord to lead you over the tracks, following his advice, following his direction? You know, Psalm 1830 says, As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is proven. He is a shield to all who trust in him. Can you trust him? No matter what comes at you, can you give up your own way and step out with him as his way is perfect and proven, or will you refuse and go your own way and be prideful about it? You know, when the Israelites followed Moses to escape Pharaoh, when God parted the Red Sea, do you not think some of them were probably scared at first to cross, fearing that the walls of water might come crashing down on them? Yet, they trusted God and they followed Moses. Moses told them not to be afraid. And when we take a look at Exodus 14, verses 13 through 14, and Moses said to the people, do not be afraid, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. The Lord will fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. And then Moses led them across the Red Sea. Had they waited or not attempted to cross, Pharaoh and the Egyptians surely would have killed them. So when you stop and think about it, it's a similar situation in the dream with the speeding locomotives. If you don't cross, whatever's behind you is going to catch up with you. And if that's the world trying to hang on to you or things you need to leave behind that are ensnaring you, you have to make a choice to walk in faith. I'm going to share one more dream I had in brief about the slanted roadway. And I'm not going to go into full detail on this because I've shared this a few times before and it's up on my dreams page. But in brief, in this dream, there was a highway or a roadway being slanted. This Crooked Highway represented the wrong path in the world as it stands today. I was shown many Christians are on this path, actually. In this dream, the road was unfinished near an overpass where cars were just speeding up toward the overpass and flying over the edge. The cars zooming past refused to get off on the exits before the overpass as if they had no direction. It would almost be like there wasn't in the dream signs there saying the road was unfinished, but picture, if you will, there's an option to get off. You can see in the distance the overpass is not finished, and people are driving straight on. Or if there were signs or barricades, they'd be driving right through it. Like, yeah, we see it, but we don't care. That's essentially what you could say was happening. No, they were, in the dream, they were just going their own way. And the way, as was illustrated in that dream, was that each person had a choice, a path to salvation or a crooked pathway to destruction. You know, in this dream, many remained speeding on the slanted roadway, 
to the unfinished overpass, few got off. Many were on their way to destruction because they were under the impression they were going the right way. But in reality, they were blinded by their arrogance or sense of pride. In other words, it is up to each of us to pick up our cross and follow the Lord in his perfect way or go our own. And if we go our own, if we lean into our own understanding, that is to our own detriment. Jesus said, quoting Matthew 7, verses 13 through 14, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. So, you know, those two verses spoken by Jesus reflect on the slanted roadway dream and the railroad track dream. Broad is the way to destruction, you know, that's the slanted highway leading to the unfinished overpass, and there are many who go in by it. That is, they stay on the wrong path. They went their own way. You know, verse 14, difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. More would choose to wait due to fear of the speeding train than instead of stepping out in faith to get past those speeding trains and what comes at them from behind. You won't have time to wait in what comes. You won't have that choice for much longer. You don't want to decide at the last minute and when it's too late and get stuck in the path of the speeding train. You don't want to hang on to your pride and be undecided. You don't want to be on the fence, in other words. You can't cross because the speeding train is already in the way or, in other words, the traps that enslave or capture you have caught up with you because you refused to follow the righteous path forward with the Lord and trust him and thought instead that your own way was best and that you knew better than God. Key point there. Thinking you knew better than God. Ecclesiastes 10 verse 3 sums this point up perfectly. Even when a fool walks along the way, he lacks wisdom, and he shows everyone that he is a fool. Psalm 36 verses 2 and 3. For he that is the fool, flatters himself in his own eyes when he finds out his iniquity and when he hates. The words of his mouth are wickedness and deceit. In other words, in pride he lies to himself. He has ceased to be wise and to do good. To walk in pride is one of the gravest sins aside from idolatry. Why? Because it leads to destruction and can blind you much in the same way idolatry does. It can blind and thus ensnare you if you don't realize you're on that wrong path. If you refuse to see, and if you refuse to repent, the danger is you may be given over to the sin, in which case it could cost you both here in the earth and life thereafter. If you're in pride, you carry the belief that you know best. That it's your way or the highway. What you want is what you get. You don't think you're ever wrong. It's always everyone else. You arrogantly do whatever you want, and in some cases, you may not even care 
that you trample upon others to do it or get it. You don't believe or fear God will do what he says. In fact, you likely scoff at God, and you scoff at his prophets he has sent to warn you. In other words, you really have no fear of the Lord, do you? Why does the Lord hate pride? Why is it one of the seven things he detests? Well, for starters, it is because you think you know better than him. And this factor alone is one of the biggest that will set you apart from him, if that's the attitude you have. You may not realize you're doing it, but I'm going to go over some examples here shortly. Let's look at Proverbs 8.13. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride and arrogance and the evil way and the perverse mouth I hate. The King James Version of Proverbs 8.13 replaces the word perverse with the word froward. What does froward mean? Froward means being, number one, stubbornly contrary and disobedient, obstinate. You know, in other words, you're at odd with everything that is of God. Two, not willing to yield or comply with what is required or is reasonable. Three, Disobedient, contrary, unmanageable, difficult to deal with, with an evil disposition. So what are some examples of pride? I'm going to go over eight different points here, of which all of us, I'm sure, have been guilty of doing at one time or another, many times without even realizing it. First, we have arrogance. Arrogance is the condition or quality of a personal superiority in rank, power, dignity, or estimation the exalting of one's own worth or importance, to an undue degree. It's pride with contempt of others, and it can also be presumption. If it involves a mockery of God, you presume he won't do this or that. This is especially for the apostate and the unbelieving. Number two, apathy. Apathy is a lack of interest or concern or simply the not-my-problem stance, or the I-don't-care attitude. You may not say it, but it's evident in fruits. The word says know them by their fruits. You can tell when someone doesn't care. It can also be due to either laziness or indifference, of which is contrary to God's written word, as he told us to show charity and concern. You know, apathy, in other words, illustrates the someone-else-can-do-it attitude that I've referred to several times before. Number three, stubbornness. That is unwillingness or unyielding to change and or refusing correction or constructive criticism for your own good. You feel your way is best. You aren't even willing to meet halfway or compromise with others. You're wise in your own eyes. Being stubborn is a perfect example of pride. Number four, unforgiveness. That is not making allowance for others' errors or weaknesses. It's never you who's wrong. It's always everyone else. You should always forgive, even if you think you aren't in the wrong, on top of confessing this sin. It shows a contrite and humble spirit in the presence of the Lord. I'm going to get more into verses in a moment, but Isaiah 66 verse 2 comes to mind here, which says, For all those things my hand has made, and all those things exist, says the Lord. But on this one will I look. On him who is poor and of a contrite spirit, and who trembles at my word. 
And guys, really, you could apply that verse to all of these examples concerning pride. But moving right along, what's a few others? Number five, avoidance. Ignoring others' attempts to communicate with you. Simply put, blowing people off or treating them as insignificant. Many like to make excuses and play the I'm busy card. But how would you like it if it were you being ignored? What if the shoe were on the other foot? You know, if someone's stressed or going through something, that's understandable. But no, what I'm talking about is deliberate avoidance without cause. Who even knew it was a form of pride? But the reality is, it happens more often than not, especially in the age of text messages and cancel culture. Avoidance is pride because you believe you're too good to get back to or talk to someone else. And so essentially, you're indirectly saying the other person is unimportant. You know, nobody likes being ignored. And by the way, this falls in with apathy that I just mentioned a moment ago. This doesn't just go on with text. I see it go on on message boards where I see somebody reach out or I see somebody try to participate and hardly anybody even responds to them. They respond to who they like. They respond in their clique. So they think that they're too good to answer or they think because it's online they don't have to. And what they don't realize is they have a prideful attitude and it stinks. You know, as someone who's had it done throughout their life, let me just tell you, that shoe can be quickly put on the other foot. I can't tell you how many times I've had someone ignore me before, and then I, months down the road, saw them in the same situation. So, just saying. Moving on. Number six, selfishness. Are you only concerned about your own interests, happiness, or well-being? Because if it's excessive, that is the opposite of being selfless. And it's a direct contradiction to Jesus' number one command to love others. To love one another. Number seven, justifying sin. So let's say someone points out something you did wrong. But rather than accept responsibility and humbly confessing it, you instead point the finger or get defensive. This is especially a form of pride if the person speaking to you is using scripture to support what they say. Because by refuting scripture... What you're actually doing is making an indirect statement that you know better than God and your ways are higher than his words. That's not something you want to do. Number eight, entitlement. Entitlement is the attitude of always being right or that you are deserving of certain privileges or at least you think you are. It's the whole, well, I shouldn't have to be without this or that attitude. Those with entitlement feel they should never have to suffer. Those with the entitlement attitude rarely show concern for others, actually. You know, seldom they will even ask how someone is even doing. All is well as long as they themselves are not affected. Really, it falls in with selfishness because it's the whole gimme, 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 me, 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 I want, I want, I want attitude. You know, it's only about you and your happiness, and to heck with everybody else and everyone else. It's dangerous, if you think about it, because it falls in line with the aforementioned elements of pride. And it also illustrates greed or being found wanting. Brothers and sisters, entitlement, at least in the United States, is a very big problem. Much of Babylon 
is about status and vanity. Even as our own people lay cold and destitute on her streets. That show of this pride will be shown to many very soon to bring about repentance when they have not been walking in accordance to the word, especially Christians who think that they're exempt from such things. No, everyone one day finds out what fools they were. That's scripturally sound. You know, there are many other examples of pride, but the ones I just laid out are among the biggest that are most prevalent today. And if you're listening to this and you feel conviction over any of these, don't beat yourself up over it. You know, the Lord only wants us to see where we're wrong so we can repent and do better. You know, that is turn from having a prideful spirit. You have to train yourself in the word to catch yourself so you realize when you're doing it. And if you do it, be quick to confess it. And if you do it to someone else, apologize. That's another thing. If you don't apologize, that's another form of pride. When you know you've done something wrong, but you don't admit it. So what are the solutions? Well, being humble is the opposite of being prideful. So let's look at some verses as they pertain. Psalm 51 verse 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. You know, let me just say, when you go through an intense refining or a wilderness season, God will show you exactly what a broken and contrite heart looked like if you were prideful beforehand. This is what I meant in the last episode when I said pride is one sin that will get you into a wilderness. You know, Jesus said, quoting Matthew 23, 12, whoever exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. You know, if... You exalt yourself over the Lord's ways. He will humble you. But if you humble yourself, if you do as he is calling, if you do and follow his leading, if you follow his word, if you are a doer of his word, if you are walking in his ways, he'll exalt you. Some he calls to serve. Moving on. So this is advice for the young listening. 1 Peter 5, verses 5 through 7. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. And by the way, that verse, it's not just for younger people. Some adults would do, well, and be wise to follow that advice as well. Colossians 3, verses 12 through 17. This is for all of us. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let me just pause there for a second and tell you something. When you don't have forgiveness, when, you, when there's a rift between two people, you are not at peace. 
because you're not following what the decree says. Most people will never understand that. Like, oh, I just don't understand this and I don't understand. It's like, that's the reason because it's unresolved. Because you know what is right in your heart. And if one person, even in the part, that's why I said earlier, if somebody offends you, even if you think you didn't do anything wrong or whether they do, it doesn't matter. Both people need to apologize and forgive, especially if they're Christians. And there is a lot of infighting in the body right now, let me just say. Because you want that peace of God to rule in your hearts. We're supposed to search for peace and work to maintain it, not be indifferent. But going on in verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Psalm 138, verse 6. Though the Lord is on high, yet he regards the lonely. And that is the humble. But the proud he knows from afar. What does Psalm 138, 6 mean when it says, but the proud he knows from afar? Well, when you're in the sin of pride, it's simple. The Lord is not near to you. The haughty spirit, the prideful spirit, you know, that haughtiness, it pushes him away. You're not in his grace because you think you know more than anybody. You think you know more than your God. You're contrary to his word. You're contrary to who Jesus was. This can be laid out in James 4, verses 6 through 10. And on this one, I'm going to read from the Amplified Version. But he gives us more and more grace through the power of the Holy Spirit to defy sin and live an obedient life that reflects both our faith and our gratitude for our salvation. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud and haughty, but continually gives the gift of grace to the humble who turn away from self-righteousness. So submit to the authority of God, resist the devil, stand firm against him, and he will flee from you. Come close to God with a contrite heart, and he will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your unfaithful hearts, you double-minded people. Be miserable and grieve and weep over your sin. Let your foolish laughter be turned to mourning and your reckless joy to gloom. Humble yourselves with an attitude of repentance and insignificance in the presence of the Lord. You know, humble yourselves with an attitude of repentance and insignificance. That means you do not think that you are better than the next person. So humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you. He will lift you up. He will give you purpose. That's what I said earlier when I said he calls those who humble themselves. Now, to those who don't or won't humble themselves and continue to refuse and walk in pride, there is some scripture which lays out how the Lord views the prideful. Isaiah 5.21, woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. Proverbs 16, verse 18. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Psalm 10, 4. The wicked in his proud countenance does not seek God. God is in none of his thoughts. You know, to summarize both of these verses, you are essentially exalting yourself above the Lord when you walk in pride. That's just the bottom line. 
you know, folks, again, you don't want to get stuck on the wrong side of the tracks with the speeding train coming at you because you were walking in pride and therefore getting left behind. You don't want to get stuck on the railroad tracks with multiple speeding locomotives. You know, that's what's coming at you, that is. Coming at you from all directions and then waiting until it's too late to repent and find that forgiveness. You want to do that now. These are things, guys, that all of us need to be putting into action now. You know, to those who wait or those who continue to rely on their own wisdom or have turned away, you'll get stuck. And you don't want to end up in a position where you cry out and the Lord is afar from you, as I quoted from Psalm 138.6 just a moment ago. You don't want to be speeding on the slanted roadway to destruction and run off the cliff or follow the crowd off the cliff like the Pied Piper. Do you all remember Matthew 7.14 from earlier? Let me repeat it. Jesus said, narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. Many refuse to find it because they choose to be wise in their own devices. They're prideful. They waited, and therefore they got stuck. And when they cried out, and that's what I believe I saw in the tracks, people getting stuck and crying out, the Lord didn't hear them. Micah 3, four, They will cry out to the Lord, but he will not hear them. He will even hide his face from them at that time, because they have been evil in their deeds. Pride, in the many examples I have given today, is an evil, and it quickly leads to evil deeds. And right now, it's the opposite of where you want to be. It's the opposite of where you want to be going. You want to be in repentance and humbling yourself before the Lord, Seeking purpose, seeking instruction, seeking forgiveness if you've been walking in pride for a while. Remember that pride is walking in your own way, your own understanding. Remember what I said about walking on the right path and following the Lord? You want to humble yourself in front of the Lord that he may lead you in what comes, that he makes your path straight and he can protect you, that he's a light under your path. He protects those who serve him. Brothers and sisters, ladies and gentlemen, today I conclude with Proverbs 3, verses 5 through 7. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. Depart from pride. Follow the Lord. Keep your eyes fixed upon him. That's all I have for you today. It is my prayer that this podcast has been a shining light in this dark world we find ourselves right now, where pride is one of the gravest sins that the Lord detests. But you, brothers and sisters, do not have to take part in those deeds or participate with that spirit. You have a choice. Follow Jesus. And do not get weary or tired of doing good. For in due season, you'll be exalted and you'll reap. May our Lord Jesus bless you all. I thank you for listening. Have a great week, everyone.